Hello everybody and welcome to this special episode of the GMS Magazine podcast, the RPG Interview Room. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and this is a podcast all about interviewing very cool people from the RPG world. I say this is a special episode uh, because I really wasn't planning on this at all, really, at all all and uh, it's not what i intend to do with the podcast to do episodes like this but i just couldn't help myself i, I had the absolutely fantastic legend bruce heard contacted me in facebook saying hey um would you be interested in kalidar the, the kickstarter that we are taking over right now and i said hell yeah absolutely come on did you know who you are you, you you're you're bruce heard come on you're a legend you're a freaking legend you you're the person behind mistara you're the person behind so many ad and d modules from so long ago you are a legend i mean come on you must know who you are of course i'm interested so uh hey here we are i i just had to to interview the man and we had to do it very quickly because at the time of recording this podcast, it was going to be just five days for the Kickstarter to finish. And it's already way, way funded, way funded. So it's not as if the project needs this podcast interview to be successful. It already is very successful, but I would love it to be even more. I'm quite frankly, I, I really wasn't going to miss a chance to talk to, to Bruce, you know, because... Wrong. he's Bruce Hurt, he's a freaking legend! So I, I had to say yes. Anyway, as you can tell, I am geeking out a little bit. Uh, of course, I'm not geeking out in front of him, I'm going to regain my composure, I'm, I'm going to interview him in the, last, in the next 10 minutes, and, and by then I will have calmed down quite a bit. So anyway, uh, this is a severe pleasure for me, it really, really is. Uh, please do enjoy the interview, I hope that you will like it, and um, well, take a look at the Kalidar website, uh, take a look at the Kalidar Kickstarter, and hopefully you will be enticed to join in and help make something absolutely wonderful. Thank you for listening. Uh, Bruce, for the first time ever, ever, um, welcome to the show, sir. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor to, to have you around. How are you doing? Yeah, hello, hello. The pleasure is mine. Right, okay. Um, we, we, we have to talk about Kaidar and, and your Kickstarter and, and about you a little bit and um, cover an awful lot of topics. So um, before we go into any of that, uh, let, let's do a little bit of warm-up just to make sure that we're in the mood to answer uh, you know, questions. So I'm going to ask you five uh, very simple either or questions and there are no right or wrong answers um so it's, it's just you know to to get in the mood of, of of questioning things so um question number one 
Uh, tea or coffee? Coffee. Okay, good answer. Even though I'm a tea drinker, but very good answer. Uh, oh, I drink tea. I, I drink tea all day, but in the morning, I do not get started without a very strong cup of coffee. I, I think that should be mandatory for most humans, to be honest. So yeah, I, I can I can understand that perfectly. Uh, right. Yeah, espresso is also oh, a yeah. given after, <laughs> uh, certainly after lunch. Definitely, otherwise. Uh, well, I come from the country who that, that invented siesta. So yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, right. Um, the mountain or the beach? Oh, the beach. Okay. Come on, I was born on the, on the seaside. That's true. That's very true indeed. Um, cars or motorbikes? Cars. Okay. Now, this is a giving. Uh, this, this, this question, I think, is going to be silly. Uh, fantasy or science fiction? Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, I thought uh, for you, I like, DC. Okay. I like them both. I mean, fantasy, of course, because I write fantasy anyway, but I do enjoy science fiction quite a lot. Okay. So, um, fantasy fiction. Fine. We'll, we'll take that. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and now probably the probably the hardest question. Um zombies or vampires? I hate them both. <laughs> <laughs> not not it's not that I really hate them, but the market has been saturated so much with zombie stuff, vampire stuff. It's been over commercialized, and because of that, I don't even want to deal with them. Okay, that, that has taught me a lesson, and it is never to drink tea when somebody's about to answer one of my questions because I nearly spat it on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> right, so um, let, let's talk. Um, let's talk a little bit, Kalidar, because um, you've been writing books about this setting for for quite a while now. There, there are a number of books already written, published, and and everything, but uh, of course. You are also very well known for publishing things for TSR and, and having a massive hand on how Dungeons and Dragons was developed a long time ago and being the author of Miss Tara. Um, how, how did all of that experience, how did Miss Tara influence the way that you approached developing Kalidar? It has a huge impact. All of my experience in publishing comes from TSR. All of my experience with putting together game worlds comes from Mistara, specifically. My writing style um, is still very much inspired from what I used to do for Mistara. Um, the way I've developed Kaladar is uh, very much parallel to what I did with uh, with Mistara. So, uh, yeah, the impact of TSR and Mistara in general and Kaldar is huge. Why Kalidar? I mean, could you have, and I can imagine what the answer is going to be for this, but could you have got the rights of, of Mistara and continue developing that one? No. No. Uh, ideally, what I did, uh, at least initially, is contact Watsi and ask them for some kind of arrangement. I would have allowed me uh, the opportunity to continue the stories for the Voyage of the Princess Ark, which is a piece of Mistara. And um, there was absolutely no arrangement possible, whether it was a simple authorization, a license, a purchase, um, anything uh, that Watsi would have agreed to um, as regards 
reviving um, anything with the Voyage of the Princess Ark. So that was a disappointment. But on the other hand, uh, I think it turned out for the best because that forced me to basically reset the whole idea, come up with a different crew, a different world, and do my thing as opposed to, to trying to revive something that's been forgotten by a lot of people perhaps, but also having to put up with uh, the approval process with Watsi, with people who do not know Mistara, mm -hmm. with people who are not familiar at all with the Voyage of the Princess Ark, um, it would have been a mess. So I think all in all, I'm much better off developing my own property and moving from there. It's, it's interesting you saying that um, because you're not the first creative I know who has been in the same situation. You know, Tim Brown with Dark Sun was in the same boat that, you know, he wanted to get the Dark Sun license back. He, he was not allowed for whatever reason. Um, mm -hmm. And by the way, I don't, I don't, for the listeners, I don't want anybody to think that this is a criticism to, to Wizards of the Coast in, in the slightest. You know, they, they have their properties, they have their interests. They have exactly. To that, that's their business, of course. Uh, I totally understand it. Uh, when we were employees at TSR, we all worked under the agreement that whatever we wrote during work hours basically was TSR's property and a story. That was part of the uh, the employment agreement. So I understand um, that they have the right to refuse all these things. Um, I understand that they're trying to defend their current marketing drive, uh, which is focused on one property um, they don't want to divide the market up and uh, and have competitors like like Tim or myself or anybody else. So I understand it. Um, I don't have to like it, but I certainly understand it. And I'm not going to argue with it. You know, I I um, I did contact them. I asked them. I pushed the issue as much as I could. Um, no was no. Okay, fine. Uh, time to move on then. And and you've moved on. How when when you thought about that, uh, and, and you 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 have this situation in your hands, you, you know that I, I cannot get back into my baby. Um, how did you think? Uh, okay, this is what I'm going to do from now on. You know, the, how did you get to that point when you thought I have something worth saying? I am going to keep saying it instead of just giving up and thinking, well, you know, well, whatever. I'm just going to keep playing games instead of instead of making them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Um, essentially, I write because I, I enjoy writing. Um, there's a lot of fun <clears throat> in uh, in working on game products. Um, so it's I don't think it's so much uh, saying the same thing all over again. Mm -hmm. um, part of it is entertainment for myself. I write because I enjoy it. Um, it's entertainment for people who like what I do. Um, but I don't think I'm repeating the same uh, the same stuff, the same message over and over. No, and that's I can imagine that um, because again, it, as it happens with any creative person, as soon as we are, you know, um, corralled against a corner, is is when we were, you know, I don't, now I'm going to do something even cooler, even better, uh, even bigger, even nicer. And um, yeah. I, I can imagine that that's how you approach Kalidar. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there, there were some uh, some similarities, some parallels with Mistara, but that's about as far as that went. After that, I just wanted to to develop something that um, that I found more entertaining, that had a little bit more depth, perhaps. Um, that essentially 
focused more on developing characters as opposed to straight world development with cardboard uh, figures all over the place. Um, that's kind of the take um, that I took. Also, there were a lot of things that were done with Mistara by design that I avoided with Kaladar. For example, I mean, it's, it's not a criticism of Mistara, of course. Mistara came about um, from material that existed in the D&D expert set, which was a very simple description of the known world. Great stuff, perfect for, uh, for what the expert set had to do. So we started out from a small part of a world and then expanded from there. So we kind of did it backward. And of course, in retrospect, that created a lot of problems once we decided to look at planetary things and anything beyond that. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I have this association with, um, and Tate was a wonderful mapper and a good friend of mine with a good understanding of how to put worlds together, especially, uh, planets and things like that. Uh, so he and I thought about this and uh, we designed it, we designed Kaladar from the outside in. In other words, we thought about the planet first mm -hmm. and then we zeroed in from the outside to the small portion that is uh, the Great Caldera, which is Caladar's uh, known world. So we avoided a lot of the de developmental problems that cropped up after the fact with Mistara. And okay, let's let's get back to basics a little bit because I, I realize that we have started talking, you know, full on, and I, I realize that some people may not even know what Kaida is all about. Exactly. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> sorry about that, people. Oh, well, um, there are a lot more followers of Misara still running around. Yeah. Uh, than than Kaladar, of course. You know, so so, <laughs> it's going to take a while. Well, yeah, but okay. So let's let's go for it. Tell me, tell me about Kaladar. What is Kaladar all about? Kaladar is a world uh, whose magic comes from the planet itself. We have something called the World Soul. So all magic comes from the world soul. The world soul is semi-sentient, if we want to put it this way, at least on a geological level. Uh, so whatever you do with magic, if you do it at a, at a huge scale, it's going to affect the whole world. Every planet has its own world soul. So um, everything is connected. Nature is connected to the world soul, the lives of people, the souls of people, even the gods themselves, their own powers, all of those are rooted in the world souls of the worlds that are relevant to them. Um, from there on, it's just a matter of um, uh, developing the world with this in mind, uh, showing a world that's trying to defend itself from the encroachment of people who destroy, exploit in order to expand their quote-unquote civilizations uh, at the expense of the world itself. So um, you have the most of the planet itself is covered by something called the dreadlands. Mm -hmm. The dreadlands uh, could be a desert, could be a forest, could be an icy uh, polar-like area. But the, the thing with uh, the, the dreadlands is if you start digging around, cutting down trees, um, altering uh, nature, nature will rebel and attack you. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that is there are certain resources that are extremely important, especially for space travel. And uh, the, most of the time, that resource 
is located in the dreadlands. Okay. All right. So people are going to be competing to try to find it's a little bit like Dune. Let me put it this way. Okay. Like spice. Okay. Same idea, really. Uh, you have to go to Arrakis in order to extract the spice. But of course, you have the sandworms. Well, in Kaladar, it's a little bit different. First off, it's not spice, and we have no uh, giant worms, but we have nature by itself uh, that can create spirits. They're colossal spirits of nature that could be made of uh, ice or earth or water or air. They could be made of an amalgam of tree and root and mud and stuff like that. And they will literally attack people who mess around. Um, now, you have to realize that most sentient creatures are not native of Kaldar. They come from moons, surrounding moons. So there's there's three moons. One is the dwarven moon. The next one is the elven moon. And the third one is the human moon. Now, all of these, these three moons are three separate empires. They're competing. They're competing, why? Because, well, they've essentially uh, outgrown their, their moons, and they need Kaladar itself, the main world, to expand. Now, in order to do this, they have to create, or at least originally, they had to create outposts on Kaladar in order to find that um, uh, the Seta, uh, this, this uh, oil of Seta, which is this magical substance that's needed for fast travel across space. Mm -hmm. They had some on the moon at the beginning, but they really don't have enough. So between all the travel that they really want to 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 uh, accomplish, and of course, Lars in space, mm -hmm. they need a lot of Seta. And the only way they can do that is really to get most of it out of Kaladar itself, and it's very dangerous. Well, what happened is there was a point where the planet got weakened, and there's a whole region where the dreadlands were not able to function. Well, guess what? All those uh, those empires formed their colonies at that spot. Okay. There was a big war. Eventually, the colonies got really tired of fighting proxy wars for the empires. So they kicked the empires out and decided, okay, we're going to be independent now. And so, of course, their job now is to prevent the empires from messing around with the dreadlands, or certainly reinvading them and, and uh, reasserting their uh, their imperial uh, authority there, um, the the various nations of this this Kaladar known world area, the Great Caldera, which is a ring-like uh, piece of land with a, an internal sea, um, they are loosely allied, especially when one of the empire uh, one of the empires tried to mess with them. But otherwise, they're, um, they do act like rivals, but, you know, they don't go too far knowing that, you know, if they start a war amongst each other, uh, eventually the empires will, will show up and, and cause big problems. So that's kind of the dynamic of the, of the world. So uh, did that answer your question? Yes, uh, it, it answered my question. It piqued my curiosity and it did amaze me because I wasn't expecting it was going to be so cool. To be honest with you, uh, but, but this it sounds, <laughs> it it sounds absolutely, it really sounds very very excellent indeed. Um, what playing possibilities are there within the world? I mean, can can have you organized it so people can play the empires or uh, they can be the, the independent Kalidar planet? How how does that play? That's always possible. You can always play a character from one of the empires or a character from uh, from the old colonies. 
from the, the grid caldera. There's no limit to that. Of course, if you play a character from an empire, you have to be a little bit careful how you part, how you provide that information to the other characters in the party because some of them might object. Mm -hmm. um, but ideally, yeah, sure, you can do it. It would be kind of interesting actually if you did, because the empires and the various colonies have the, the ex colonies certainly have different motivations about what they want, how they want to how they want to grow, et cetera. So, of course, the, the, the natives would act accordingly. Um, there's one thing I should say about Kaladar is that there is an ongoing theme about skyships. And that's because, as I said originally, Kaladar came from my attempt at uh, reviving excuse me, the, um, the Voyage of the Princess Ark, which was a story of a skyship exploring um, Mistara. Mm -hmm. Um, so ideally what I did was to create this game world so that skyships would be very important. That was the motivation for having empires that were off world. Therefore they need skyships to travel through space and, um, you know, travel through the atmosphere of Kaladar. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I don't know if you noticed, but all of the titles of Kaladar books, uh, have something to do with skies winds Boring. wings ships and stuff like that yeah okay that's the reason why <laughs> generally especially the source books are formatted so there is a short story at the beginning that kind of looks like the uh, the old uh, voyage of the princess arc stories from the dragon magazine and the rest of it is the source book that looks like uh the gazetteers from the mistara uh, product line that's kind of the general thinking behind these source books. Now, it, it looks like um, Kalidar is, is very politically driven in, in terms of, you know, the, the empires competing with each other, the old colonies competing with the empire, probably within themselves as well, because if the old colonies were created from the three different empire colonies, then uh, th there can be some tensions in there as well. Uh, what is the main focus of the setting? Is it the political intrigue? Is it the, the dungeon crawling? How would you describe the ethos of Kalidar? Um, it's very widespread. Politics among nations in Kalidar is very important. Internal politics, internal rivalries, secret brotherhood, that's also a very big theme in uh, Kalidar Adventures. Dungeon crawling certainly is possible. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't think of a setting where dungeon, uh, dungeon crawls wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, that's not possible. Okay. Uh, so that's, a, that's definitely a feature. But also uh, adventures on skyships, uh, traveling the world, exploring, you know, Star Trek a la D&D, &D, you know, that's basically what you're looking at. So as far as the style of game, um, I wouldn't call it OSR because it's not only about dungeon crawls. It's about uh, great adventures, you know, traveling, uh, becoming an epic hero. Um, there is an ongoing theme in Kaladar uh, that consists in uh, earning notoriety points. Notoriety points uh, eventually pave the way to becoming maybe an epic hero, maybe have special powers or becoming a demigod and eventually uh, growing through a pantheon and becoming a god. Um, that is also a very important theme in Kaladar. The general idea is if somebody 
isn't forgotten by everybody, that person isn't really dead. Mm-hmm. You know, after someone disappears. So it becomes very important to make sure that you leave a legacy um, of tales and legends that people like to tell at home or in taverns or in theaters or in books. Um, and that connects with the world soul because I don't know if you remember this old science fiction movie from the, um, I think from the 40s, uh, Forbidden Planet. Oh, yeah. Okay, where people's thoughts created monsters. Yes. It was this machine under the ground was collecting thoughts and saying, oh, you want a, a, a T-Rex. Okay, I'll make you a T-Rex. There it is. You can't see it, but it's really there. Well, the world soul on Kaladar works a little bit the same way. It collects um, consensus thoughts. So if you have um, 500,000 people who begin thinking, hey, you know, wouldn't be, wouldn't it be cool if we had a god that was called Odin and he had an eye patch and he and he rode uh, an eight-legged horse and he had this great spear, etc., etc., and he come up with this whole um, cult idea? Well, sure enough, the world soul is going to pick up on that and say, ah, that's what you want. Okay, here, boom, there's a god. He's called Odin. By the way, he's here. He exists. That sounds actually. Absolutely brilliant. Like the, the possibility is to change the world and, and create new canon. It's just, oh, it's pretty much endless. So now the the strategy of major cults and major temples, uh, organized religion, is to try to control the thoughts of millions of people so that maybe mm. they can achieve something special. And of course, the gods know that, and they're either trying to prevent other temples from messing around with people's minds because they know they might be the victims of that. Wow. So the gods don't create people. People create gods. That's how it works in Kaldar. And it doesn't matter whether people are coming from a different world. And in this particular case, what happened with Kaladar is that there's something called the, um, uh, the, the vortex. And the vortex is sort of a portal with other realities. The Vortex basically managed to get its hands on a bunch of people from Scandinavia, from the real world, with all of their beliefs, all of their customs and everything. And it, um, the Vortex kept these people as uh, prisoners in, in suspended uh, animation mm-hmm. and eventually sold them to a god that was interested in having them and maybe as worshippers. So the gods recovered these people uh, put them on Kaladar, and of course what happened, these people were had absolutely no interest in this god. They decided to go on with their own beliefs, and they created an alternate version of Valhalla mm-hmm. with all of the, the, the gods of the Vikings. And that's how we explain having Viking gods in a world that's completely different. Now, of course, all the other gods are completely uh, different uh, outside of this particular group of people. You have several pantheons of gods. You get an elven uh, pantheon of gods, you get a dwarven pantheon, uh, the humans have multiple pantheons. Okay, so not all of those gods actually are copied from uh, Earth-like uh, cultures. But so that's basically what happens when I say that magic comes from the world soul. It's not just a single spell. It could be a colossal creature. You could essentially bring into existence a kraken 
by having thousands of people believe, oh my God, we we know there's the legend of the Kraken of such and such, <laughs> and everybody believes it, and they believe it so strongly that guess what? There's a Kraken. That's amazing. That that is absolutely fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about the the game world has with no uh, is system agnostic. Is that correct? It is. Originally, I didn't want to deal with having to do a D&D source book or Pathfinder source book, even though I, I did put some uh, some conversion for Pathfinder in the first book, because uh, role-playing games change so fast on the market. Uh, the moment you put a source book out, the next year or two later, um, the rules that you use have been updated or changed or abandoned, For as far as you can tell. I looked at that and I was really worried about it. And uh, I wanted to put something that could exist 10 years, 20 years, and 20 years later, people would be able to pick up the book and go, oh, yeah, I know what the author meant by this. Mm -hmm. I can convert that to whatever other game system exists now. That's kind of tough to do. A lot of people look at that, and they're not initially comfortable with the idea, even though the mechanics I use to express that's are pretty simple. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people just don't want to mess with that. So the idea right now, especially with this particular Kickstarter, um, is that I'm going to come up with a kit that converts all the stats that are mentioned in the core book uh, for use with 5e. So I've got to deal with the legality of all that, of course, but that's the plan. And eventually also things like Pathfinder, maybe basic D&D, you know, uh, basic experts, etc. Um, so that people who really don't want to mess around with a system agnostic set of mechanics um, can pick up the kit and say, okay, my stats are right here. I know exactly what Bruce meant. Okay, we, we haven't spoken about the Kickstarter uh, just yet because, to be honest, I was absolutely mesmerized uh, <laughs> listening to, to what you were talking about regarding Kavida, which it, it generally sounds fantastic. What is this Kickstarter for? Is it just to, to convert Kalidar into 5e, uh, the whole thing, just one book? What is this? No, 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 no. Uh, what happens is um, I'm just a one-man team here. Or, well, I'm not a one-man team, but basically it's just me making books uh, with the help of a few uh, associates like uh, uh, Torf and Tate, who does all my maps, he does all the layouts of my books, or... Uh, my companion, uh, Jenna Deaver Pack, who does all of my editing, etc. But essentially, it's just me. I'm not a big company. I'm not like uh, Paizo mm. or uh, or Watsi. So in order for me to to put books out, I have to rely on Kickstarters. That's the only way I can put them out. You know, just to get the cash up front to pay for the art, uh, to pay for all the services, print the books, uh, ship them to everybody. So anyway, uh, so all of my books essentially go through a Kickstarter stage in order to get all the, the production taken care of financially. Um, and the latest one is about a book called uh, On Wings of Darkness, mm -hmm. which is a source book that uh, brings to life a realm of wizards and uh, demons who serve them. So people, some people have said, oh yeah, right, you're kind of redoing the principalities of Glentry from Mistara. And I'm saying, yeah, it's, it's a majocracy, okay, but the similarity stops here. It is very different. It is a lot grimmer. Uh, it is more op open than uh, the principalities of Galantry in that um, priest-like characters are accepted, dwarf-like characters are accepted. Uh, that's all fine. But hmm, other than that, it's quite nasty. I mean, you have 
sorcerers who are considered hoi polloi, you know, non-noble, uh, non and then you have wizards who are considered uh, aristocracy. Well, there's a reason for that. So anyway, this Kickstarter is, is for this book. It's a 132-page uh, color book. Um, it's a geographic guest here. It talks about the culture. It talks about the history, the politics, the monsters, everything. All the neat stuff, all the granular details uh, that make uh, a mediocracy absolutely fascinating and totally deadly. Uh, all that with a little bit of humor, especially in the... Um, the short story at the beginning, which is, you guessed it, the story about the Star Phoenix and its crew, a skyship that happens to be visiting Caldwin, the Mediocracy, mm -hmm. and uh, hmm, having a big problem with them. <laughs> okay, big, big problem. So that's what, right. So that Kickstarter is there to to get all the art and uh, to cover all of the, the financial details. That ends on the 31st, so in a few days, you yeah. caught me just in time to bring that up. Uh, so that's where I am on this particular project. It's very successful so far. I've, you know, everybody who's jumped in is really excited about the project, and uh, we're approaching, what, the 10th uh, stretch goal on that one, so it's more than funded. Um, we also included a um, an adventure booklet. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the same price, that's that's rolled up with the uh, the 132 page source book, so it's a whopper. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, it it sounds quite fantastic. I've been taking a look at it. <laughs> it it sounds quite quite amazing. I, I have to say. Um, before we start, because I know that an awful lot of people really feel, um, as you said, uncomfortable about um, agnostic uh, worlds. What aids? Or what kind of information do you offer that could help people convert into their system of choice? You know, a Savage Worlds or an OSR yes. or anything. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, there's a free PDF uh, that's available out there uh, on DTRPG um, that explains what the game stats are and how to convert them or how to interpret them mm -hmm. um, for the other game system. Because it's just not, it's not necessarily just numbers. You can't really convert a game by just looking at numbers and, and just converting numbers uh, mathematically. There are other considerations that come into play. Um, for example, if you have a mage that's level X that can cast, say, a fireball, well, that might be different in different games mm -hmm. in terms of what level that character must be in order to cast that kind of spell. So that would be a consideration uh, it, that, that would fall more uh, within the... Uh, the guidelines of interpretation than true mathematical conversion of uh, uh, game stats like levels and things like that, hit points, etc. Um, but all of that is explained in that, that little book that's called, uh, I think it's Caladar uh, Game Mechanics, I forgot the title, um, but it's essentially kind of an add-on. If you get one of the books, you can get this on top of it and uh, and fully understand what all the various game terms mean. Uh, okay, what, what happens after this Kickstarter? Because I can't imagine you're going to stop writing. So when 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 this this project is is done and dusted, then what? Then what? Well, that is the fourth book, mind you. Mm -hmm. There are, there already are three other books before that, and uh, after this Kickstarter, um, I want to do a bunch of uh, kits to help people who want to convert specifically to Five E or Basic or Pathfinder, etc. So I want to do some of those. Um, and after that, oh boy, uh, there are some options. 
Uh, either it's going to be another source book because people really like those. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very popular. Or it's going to be a set of uh, game mechanics. Now, these are specific game mechanics uh, to run skyships. Uh, movement rules, combat rules, things like that, how to build uh, ships and things like that. So um, uh, material available in various game systems um, isn't always fully complete when it comes to flying ships, Mm -hmm. especially with the the extent of what I'm trying to do. For example, um, I want to be able to have a skyship fighting a dragon. Right. Well, how how about a a dragon fighting a World War I uh, aircraft? It would be built uh, by uh, gnomes, I suppose, to have something that looks like a War One biplane, mm-hmm. you know. But you could theoretically have a a swarm of biplanes attacking a uh, a dragon. So I want to have rules that allow that. Well, if you look in D and D or Pathfinder, you're not going to find that. Not easily, <laughs> no. Not easily, definitely not. That that sounds that sounds fantastic. That sounds fantastic, and and I'm really glad. I mean, yes, I think at the time of doing this interview, we you are about two thousand two hundred percent funded or well over two hundred percent. So it's it's, it's uh, yeah, well, that last it? one. Yeah, it's uh, it's well above two hundred percent now. So, so it's doing well. Good. Uh, people, let's make it 300%. Go for it. Um, it's, it's, it's up to you. <laughs> uh, uh, right. Um, to, to, to wind down a little bit on uh, you know, this, this intense interviewing thing that we've been doing, um, I have three, uh, three abstract questions that, again, have no right or wrong answers. So um, mm-hmm. this is just to, to surprise you a little bit. Um, right. Question number one. What's the best advice that no one has ever given you? Oh boy! Um, as regards publishing, I presume. As regards whatever you want to answer. Um, as regards publishing, somebody was just asking me that question this morning. Um, it took a lengthy email to try to explain. Uh, basically, if you're interested in getting into publishing, um, you have to first build a following. Mm-hmm. So it's a real catch-22 situation, because. If you don't have a following, nobody will pay attention, and you can't get a following unless you actually publish something. Yep. Right. So you go round and round and round. Uh, it's tough. You have to to be willing to start uh, small, and uh, be very consistent. Um, be very persistent about what you're doing, and never lose track of the final goal. Keep working toward it, and if you can, start young. Not when you're in your 60s, because it will take a long time to get there. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Oh, and also, don't even try, don't even think that you're going to get rich doing this stuff. Forget no, it. <laughs> no, that's, that's very, very true indeed. I mean, many, many times has been said, do you know how, how to make a small fortune in role-playing games? Uh, start with a, with a big fortune. Exactly. Uh, so, exactly. Uh, right. It's question number two. Um, what is the best mistake you'd like to make again? Best mistake I like to make again would be to mm, to develop details. Okay. You know, and that's something I usually get lost in. Um, I get into a particular topic and I like to push it to its limit. And sometimes it's a mistake because you get bogged down doing this. Yeah. You waste a lot of time on a, a very, very narrow subject 
And uh, some people will like this, but others will go, oh, come on, Bruce. There are more important things to talk about. <laughs> and, yeah, I do this, and I just so love doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Right. So, uh, example, it, that reminds me of something I did with uh, this latest book, um, talking about the history of this nation. Mm -hmm. And I took a look at the politics. And, of course, nowadays there's a certain – um, relevance to what people are thinking. When you look at the politics in, in Europe, uh, in uh, Central America, in South America, or certainly in North America, yeah. uh, people are so polarized. And so when you look at the politics in, in a, a fantasy world, well, there's certain things you need to think about. How did the current aristocracy come into being? Why are they there? What are the events that led uh, a magiocracy that looks like it's being run by the universities, by the schools of magic. So it's a it's a realm run by teachers. Oh, horror. You know, but there's an aristocracy and there's a voting system somehow. Okay, so I have to explain how this actually works. And, well, how did we get there? How did they, they start from being a colony of a far-flung moon Okay, and how did they become this magiocracy run by teachers that has this aristocracy and a bunch of uh, well, there's a an, an order of uh, mage knights that protects the aristocracy. Anyway, they have their own uh, motivations for that. But anyway, so for all of those features, I want to have some historical explanation that will unveil where what in what these these various features are grounded in historically what is the source of power mm -hmm. why is there an aristocracy how do they stay in power how do you explain that so we get into oh, well there's this parliament and yeah there's the grand master of the magiocracy also calls shots you know so there's a big political uh, aspect of it that plugs right into the history. And you know what? Bruce being Bruce, I'm going to spend a whole lot of time working <laughs> out all the details, the historical details, all the dates. And when did this happen? What year? Oh, well, I have too many events this year. So I'm going to have to stretch this a little bit so it doesn't look like it's all bunched up in this particular decade. And then here there's nothing happening. So I need to fix that too. Good. Let's create more events. <laughs> And so on. So I end up with this huge timeline. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so eventually what happens is I take some of the stuff out and put it away. I figured maybe I'll write an article about <laughs> the other things that I've never mentioned because I've got just too much. There's no room. I mean, there's a set amount of words that I can put in a particular chapter. Mm -hmm. And almost invariably, I end up being long. Well, that sounds like a better problem to have than not having enough. Uh, yeah, it's also very timely. I bet. You know, time-consuming. <laughs> I bet it is. Right, right. Last, last question. Okay, you have a time machine. Uh, you go back in time and meet your 10-year-old self. And you say to your 10-year-old self, do not do this. What is this? Oh, boy. There would be a lot of thises. <laughs> you know. <laughs> because... Uh, ending up at TSR was a result of a series of mistakes that I've made or misguided decisions and uh, uh, things I wanted to do that just didn't work out. 
Um, don't get too attached to any one particular thing. Be flexible mm -hmm. is what I would probably uh, try to teach myself. Okay. Um, I can be pretty hard-headed. Um, I can be pretty driven okay. to the point of being a pain in the butt for everybody else. Uh, but yeah, so my advice to myself would be, hey, you know, step back, be cool, take it easy. If this doesn't work, try something else or try it differently. Don't try to ram through everything every time, all the time. Yeah, that sounds like a very sound advice. I will take it. I will take it very much indeed. Uh, Bruce, thank you uh, very, very much indeed for being with me today. It's It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. I would love to have you back at some point and, and talk about the TSR years. That that would be quite a wonderful conversation to have. I'd love to have you back at some point if you, if you want to come back. Oh, Paco, I'd love to do that. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Please, please, please take a look at this Kickstarter and if you can, chip in and help, please. And if you cannot, talk about it. Share it with people. Talk about it in Twitter, in Facebook. Tell to your, tell your friends, your gaming club, your gaming group, anyone, anyone at all. Seriously, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I was not expecting that I was going to enjoy... Uh, hearing Bruce talk about Kalidas so much because you know I'm, I'm an old cynic and for me any medieval sort of fantasy setting has to have something different to offer but I really enjoy the possibilities that Kalidar has to offer you know the, the three empires the this this by the space fighting and, and traveling this this new empire that's coming out out of col old colonies it, it I Yes, I am up for this. I really am up for this, and I'm I'm loving it. And unfortunately, I don't have the money at the moment to help with this uh, this Kickstarter. But please, please, if you do, please consider it. Uh, seriously, I would appreciate that. And uh, let me know what you think. Let me know what you thought about the interview. Let me know what you thought. Well, Kalita, have you already read it? Have you had it? Do you miss Mistara? Why? Why is that? I'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch. You can reach me on Twitter. I am at GMS Magazine. You can also contact me over email, podcast at gmsmagazine.com. And by all means, do find me in social media as Paco Hang anywhere you like. And I uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, the music at the beginning is London Caves by Astro Doors and the music at the end I have no idea and I need somebody to tell me it's from an old video game called Omega Boost for the PlayStation 1. So if you know this song, please, I'd love to hear from you. Do you want to be in the show? Do you have anything to say? Yes, well then get in touch. I'd love to have you around. I'd love to know you and I'd love to hear what you what you have to say. So get in touch, let me know, and let's get this organized. But until the next time, thank you very, very much for being there, and I'll talk to you very soon indeed. Mm -hmm.